I left my family. I left my kids. I left my nightclubs, my parking company, $35 million to fight the fight. And both families, Gambino and the Bonanno family, Joe Messina, the boss of the Bonanno family, I helped him against the guys who were ratting against him. He turned state evidence into worldwide. His underboss, Sal Vitale, came in and he ratted. The captain, Frankie Copa, he ratted. And alongside them, there was other guys in their family that ratted. Along with my family, the boss, John Gotti Jr., he ratted. Ronnie Warnham, you have the opening statement. He ratted. He said that I would kill him if he wasn't nice to me. After I tried to help him beat the case. Mikey Scars, DeLonardo, John Gotti Jr.'s right-hand man. He ratted. Greg De Palma, another one of John Guy's made guys. He ratted. Fat Dom, another one of his made guys. He ratted. Mikey Scars had Joe, little Joey D'Angelo and John Jr. had him rat because they turned on him. He had nowhere to go. Another guy, Mikey Scars' brother, well, they, they buried him. So he had a flip. He had to come in. And I won't use the word rat for these guys because these guys were left in no man's land by all the captains, made guys, giving these guys up one at a time. Welcome, uh, another episode of uh, the Johnny and Gene Show. Johnny A. Light, Gene Barello, myself, Felix Sabine. Um, so this is uh, this will be fun. This is just uh, us three, and we're gonna, you know, this this show is about truly. It's it's a couple different things. Uh, talking everything mob related because they were in the life. You know, I don't know anything about that, but I know that you know for people like me who weren't, uh, it's just interesting. Period. Right. Um, and then you know, mostly also their their message and what they're trying to promote with with this show is. To inform people about what it was like, one, but also uh, for a purpose of, you know, so people don't get into it. So they see how, A, kind of scary it is, B, the trouble you get into, the time in jail you spend, how it's not worth it, there's no loyalty. So, you know, I guess the, the, the general message that, you know, we're trying to get across is, you know, informative, but also um, how to keep kids away from it. So, you know, we're going to get into a lot of different things. Um, you know, I think first what's what's interesting for, for me, right, as someone who who doesn't know anything really about this life. Um, and, you know, Gene got, just got out way more recently than John. But, uh, you know, is how do you refrain from going back into that life, right? And I know that's, a, that's hard because when you get out, you know, they don't, they don't help you. They, they, don't, they don't help you integrate into society. You got to find a job. You don't want to, you, you know, Gene's on a short leash. You, you do anything and you go back for life. So for you, we'll start with Gene, you know, how do you on a daily basis, you know, refrain from either anger, uh, you know, anything violence related, if someone does you wrong, maybe before you were going to go hurt them, now you can't. What's that been like? It's hard. But, you know, um, you know like I said, when I do get mad, because it's funny now, because me and him became uh, very close, I call him up because, you know, I'd be like, yo, John, listen, he'd be like, listen, don't let them set you up. Don't let them get you out of hell. Explain to me. And then I make sense to me what they're doing. Nobody's really going to do anything. You know, nowadays it's washed up. If this was the 80s, I'd probably be in witness protection, you know, because you'd be dead. You know, well, you couldn't walk the streets like that. But nowadays, it's just so watered down a joke that what they'll do is they'll try to get you in trouble other ways. You know what I mean? Uh, bring you out of your character, uh, you know, try to do something 
try to make trying to get you basically violated put back in jail and they'll say oh we got him in jail we won which is a rat move the same thing they're against they're doing so basically now i just got to really sit back and what i do is i relax now and i i just i really just try not to let anything bother me anymore you know how do you i mean how does from like a legal standpoint you have what you're on parole i mean you have uh to check in with people yeah so my probation officer he'll call me every once in a while and you know check in with me and it's like regular parole basically but um you know, like I said, when I pled out, you know, I already had told the story. You are under your guidelines. So 15 to life guideline, that's what I pled out to a bunch of charges. And if you do catch another charge, you go back in front of your federal judge. You go back in front of him, you know, and he might not be so friendly to you this time, you know, where they gave you another chance and now you're just the same person. Mind you, I'm young. My career was short lived because I was so wild for my time. They wanted me off the street. It was either you're going to do this or you're going to die in jail. We, we don't want your kind around out. You know, bad guys and good guys will call up the cops on me. So it's just like, you got your second chance, you mess it up, you're gone. You know, that's basically, and it, it, it'll humble you. You know, I want to want to live the rest of my life in, in peace. And do you, I mean, I when, because I've had both of you individually on, on my personal show, but, uh, you know, I think John was talking to me more about like this PTSD and I think might've been maybe therapy or different things of of managing that kind of, those emotions. For you, do they, do they help? Do they provide therapists? Do they... Like, how's that, you know, to, to talk about it? They do right now. Obviously, the whole situation right. going on, we can't. But they were putting me with therapist, And uh, I seen them like twice. But then after that, this whole thing happened. So I really couldn't. Do you feel like that stuff is helpful? I mean, for other people well, that are getting out, would you recommend that? Right, truthfully. And, you know, my whole thing is I really do have chemical imbalances. So, you know, it's not like I'm nuts. But I have I have chemical imbalances. I'm ADD, ADHD. You know, I was diagno- di- uh, diagnosed bipolar when I was young. Bad mood swings. So I have that. You know, I was supposed to be on medication my whole life. I just refused to take it. You know, so that was also a problem that I had. And do you and do they, you know, try to to, to make you take it now? I mean, do you ever fear that because you have, you know, ADD, ADHD or, or bipolar, you know, that, it, you know, one slip up could get the, the worst of you? Right. You know, like I said, I never thought before I did anything. I just did it. You know, like he was saying, you know, when they told me to do something, I just did it. Same here. I just did it. I didn't have no consequence. I was just like, a, just I just go. You know what I mean, so now I have to change that completely. You know, it's just. Do you feel like you're able to do? It? I mean, it's hard yeah. to ask someone no, to yeah, completely absolutely. change in a few months. Like I said, I'm not gonna bullcrap anybody. I just don't want to. I also don't want to die in jail. You know, that's also yeah. over my head. So you know, I want to change, be a better person, and I also don't want to sit and rot in a cell for the rest of my life. Right. You and know? for and for you, John, I mean, you know, different different experience, different life. Um, what what are ways in which you know, I mean, you manage your your emotions and and stuff like that to to you know, that's a life. From from the past and you, I mean, you know, people know you and your and your past. It was violent, whatever. But uh, you you know, on a daily basis, how do you survive? And you know, when you have an issue with someone, to not resort to violence as you as you used to. Well, you know, first off, I got a friend of mine is from Puerto Rico, was a, a serious serious killer. He got out of jail, beat some cases, and he wanted to change his life. And uh, guys were agitating him, and. Uh, he killed all three guys that were agitating him, and he's back in jail doing life. So I look at and I and I see guys like that, and I exercise my brain the way I exercise my mind. So I'll never forget because he calls me. Boo Boo was calling me when he was home, when he was when he was getting mad, and he then he calls me now from prison, and uh, I feel bad for him because that you got to learn to exercise your your brain the way your mind. And Will Smith, I don't know if people have followed, he's an actor, right? But he says some intelligent things for people that know him. 
And, you know, I happen to be a Will Smith fan, so I was watching. One of the things he said is, if you're going to look in a broken mirror, you're going to see something that's distorted, right? So you have to look at yourself and say, I don't care what other people are saying. I need to control me. And that's part of therapy and that's part of exercising. And what I do is, and part of that therapy over the years was one of the most important things is, as I became an advocate for so many kids from inner cities, from all over that call me and depend on me, I know I would be letting down a lot of people if I screw up. And so that's one of the things that stops me. And the other thing is your initial reaction. I lose my temper still like I've always done, but I don't react the, the same way. I control my reaction. And I know if you let somebody in a room with me and guys that know me, uh, they won't talk so tough like that if they didn't know my position. I got to just always remember that. I said they're talking this way because they think that that's not going to happen. But unfortunately for some of those guys, there's guys like Booba, even though he ruined his life, those guys that kept agitating him lost their life also. I don't want to be another Booba, and I don't want to be those guys that uh, agitate me. So, I, you know, I learn as I, as I keep getting older to control myself, and, and I work at it every day like an alcoholic does. Do you feel like uh, you talk about therapy? I mean, I don't know how, how often you do or did it. Um, what was it about therapy that helped you? I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that, that get out and don't, Get, have people to talk to, don't do therapy. Do you recommend it as a way to, you know, manage your anger? Has that worked for you? Yeah, well, I talked the example because we'll talk about Gene and his partners with me here. And, you know, the, the thing about therapy is it teaches me not to be insecure. It teaches me to know who I am, mm -hmm. get rid of the ego. And, and like I told Gene, these aren't guys that are on, on the street that agitate you. Are usually guys that are not capable of anything. They're just guys that'll run their mouth and they're not killers, obviously. And, you know, if you're going to take it to that level, I would say, Gene, be careful because these guys might kill you. <laughs> but that's not the case. They're going to, at best, take seven or eight guys and try to jump you. But I don't think they think it out because if they do that, they got to say to themselves, well, how's this going to end then? If if I do that to, to me, say, how's this going to end? Do I got to wait for this guy to come kill me? Because... You don't know where somebody's temperament's going to go if that's what's inbreded in them right. to be violent. So you, you got to really think it out and be educated. And, and you know, a, a good thing on my end is age, right? As you keep getting older, you get smarter, and you also, you, you're not insecure. You, your ego's gone. And, you know, I use Mike Tyson because another guy I really like. And uh, you can't be champ forever. Mm. You know, I had that reign for a while, and I got to understand, listen, those days are over. Let them talk. Who cares? Laugh it off and, and, and get yourself to the bank, make money, go travel and enjoy life. Right. And that's the, the the message I give young kids. And I think it's interesting you talk about, you know, insecurity, because people would look at someone like you and be like, he's insecure. What are you talking about when you when you mean insecurity? What does that mean for you? And how does like ego play into that? Well, because anybody knows if you go in a room with a tiger, the tiger is going to kill you. Right. So, you know, they could talk all that nonsense about about me, especially if they're younger, but the guys my old generation, they know what I was. So they know I was a straight, you know, gangster, killer, whatever word you want to use, you know, uh, enforcer. But I was very violent, way past any average guy or any guy that was on the street. You got to remember, most guys on the street live off a reputation to use a gun once or twice. If they're really wild three times, I didn't stop shooting that gun. I mean... You know, everybody's always asking those those stupid numbers to me don't mean anything. I said it before. I don't have a computer. 
The only thing I can say is in the trials, they accused me of shooting 60 people. And I said, that's an exaggerated number. Do I? And I've always said the same thing, probably around 40. And I've shot off names and places over and over again, not just with a gun, with a bat, because people talk about, well, you killed this guy. I mean, the first guy I actually killed actually was with a baseball bat. And I wasn't charged with the murder and, you know, whatever. I'm not the prosecutor, so I don't know how exactly that works. But people that know me uh, know how violent I could be. And uh, that violence only hurts myself. It only kills me if I'm ever violent again. Now, do you guys, I mean, you know, question for both of you is fear of going to jail. And you're, I mean, you have different perspectives. I think it's interesting because you're young and you just got out. So you have, a, you see like, you know, I could have 40, 50 years of life ahead of me. Right. That's kind of scary. And then for you, John, I mean, now you're older, kids, you know, is it is it a different fear of going to jail? Is there really a fear of going to jail, fear of death? I mean, what's that like in, in for the both of you? Uh, you know what I mean? I don't think I have fear of going back to jail at all, or even dying in jail, to be honest with you. My change of heart in this life was I had two crime families, Banano family and the Gambino family. The bosses down were wearing wires and testifying and going to meet the government. So I believed in a life being Albanian that the Italians in this life couldn't be loyal to. And I said to myself when I threw the towel in, and I tell people all the time, get the paperwork and see how many bosses from both families gave me up, along with the underlings. You expect the underlings to give you up. So when I threw the towels in after two major families became cooperators, and then I said to myself, I'm loyal to nonsense. And I changed my life and uh, kept advocating for kids. And I won't stop advocating kids because I don't want them to believe in what I believed in and ruin your life. So it's not really fear of jail. It's fear of going to jail for the wrong thing. So like any parent, I use as an example, you have parents, his parents, anybody's parents in the room. Uh, we all protect our families and our kids and we'll do anything for them. So I don't think that'll ever change for any human being that uh, loves their family and their children. So I don't think it's a fear of jail. I think it's a, it's the fear of not living the right, the, the right life correctly. And I want to live it the right way. I want my legacy to be this, exactly what I'm doing, helping kids survive getting involved with kids that have the same problem I had or Gene had and save their lives. Man, it's really a good feeling to know you're saving some kids' lives that call me on a constant basis, all their parents. Um, you know, for me, like, my, I was, I got so bitter towards the life because Ronnie G, I was super tight with him. I just didn't work for him. I was, I would, I was hanging out with him. He didn't even have guys around him. He didn't want people around him. He was, me and him was super tight. And when he turned on me and when he did with me, it kind of like, Say, wow, this is what I look up to. This guy did this to me. Like, he's supposed to be my right-hand man. I do everything for this guy. I would kill, do anything for him. He knows that on a call. He just say, Gene, go do this. It's done. They, it, I didn't hesitate. I just did it. And when he basically started turning on me and pushing me away and do what he did to me, I got bitter. It made me so bitter towards everybody. And then I had to deal with his uncle psycho for three years. And that was no ride in the park. This guy's a raving lunatic. And I had to put up with that crap because... They were told that's what you have to do. So you become bitter. These are the people you look up to and look what they're doing. They turn on me. Yeah. I did all this stuff for them. Let me interrupt you yeah. something. I'm gonna and then I, I don't like to interrupt you. Yeah. But one of the things he's bitter about, and and nobody talked about, but I do, because he had this conversation. His boss, and I and I don't like to use that word, but Ronnie actually asked him to shoot at a woman. Yeah. I mean, and he discussed it disgusted him because it's something that's bothered him ever since. And I did it. So yeah. when people are talking about loyalties of this life, 
he was so loyal that he went against every grain of his body to shoot at a woman because he was asked to. Yeah. And this is why I don't like the life, because people don't see this part. Where's the honor at shooting at a woman? You know, where's the honor at a girl, that, and I won't use her last name, that uh, the cousins and uncles, and he claimed that he was involved with shooting a girl. There's no honor in shooting a girl. I mean, I don't even want anybody to talk about it. Right. To me, it's disgusting. It's laughable. It ain't no tough guy that does that. Right. So he done those things for the wrong reasons. But on, go ahead. I'm sorry. On top of it, in the middle of ongoing traffic on Cross Bay Boulevard, had me fire into a car at a lady and two other people because we thought somebody was in there. I said, there's a woman in there. He goes, shoot into the car. And I put six shots into the car. I almost killed everybody in the car. The girl seen me. She was crying. You almost kill me. Bulls to a headrest, everything. And I says, you know, you hanging out with my enemy. That's the life I'm living. I was so loyal to this guy that he could have told me to kill anyone. I would have did it. And that's how loyal I was to him. And he turned on me. He made me so bitter. And when I was sitting there, it, it, he just put a hatred in me. A hate in my heart that I, couldn't, I can't describe. Was it also a hatred for yourself? I mean, explain what you felt. I felt so used, you know, because I always thought, oh, this is my guy, you know, because he wouldn't talk to nobody. When he came home, he would only deal with me. So everybody used to like... A lot of people did kiss his ass for his time. He was the guy because, like you said, there was nobody around. You know, he was the guy. So I was his right-hand man. I did all his work, all his dirt. And everybody knew I was next in line. And I was hanging out with him every day. And he kind of, like, resented me for that. I thought he loved me for that, but he didn't. He actually started, like, pushing me away and turning on me and used anything he could to basically basically get rid of me now. And, I mean, I took care of everything. He was in jail. He couldn't collect the dollar. I made sure all his money was collected. I took care of his kids. His kids were like my family. I lived with them, basically. I ate with the house every day. I was like a real, not just, oh, I work for him, meet me here at this time. It was, we were good friends. And he was a lot older than me. That should tell you right away. He's got 14 years on me. What's he got to throw me, a young kid, hanging out? Because I'm an asset to him, you know what I mean? And I thought it was more than that, and it wasn't. He basically just... What Gene doesn't understand and other kids is they won't ask their own child to do that, right? So how can they really love you or like you? If they're asking you to do things at your age, basically the same age as his kids. So they're asking you to do something that they won't do themselves and they won't have their own child to do. So because you believe in this life, you're delusional enough to think that somebody really cares about you. But I would never ask my sons to do anything like that. I never asked my sons to ever step their foot in the street. Actually, if my sons step in the street, I'll beat up my sons. Then you'll see me get violent again. And, well, I don't know if I could beat my kids up anymore, but <laughs> yeah, I, strong, I, I would right? have to hit them with something. But the point is I don't want my kids in the street because I love my kids. And, and any father, any street guy, and I've said this, any baseball player or any actor, any ball player, any uh, street guy, if they love their kid, they don't want to give their kid a gun and a bag of junk to sell on the street. That's just reality of life. So when someone else does that, whether it was me in the past or whether it was his guy, when we do that, actually, we don't care about those kids. We only care about ourselves and making money. And that's the truth about it. A lot of things I did in the past is no different than his guy he was working for. I didn't never hurt any girls or anything, like that, but I used kids to, to do a lot of work with me. And you got to be honest. For me to help other kids, I got to tell them the truth. Listen, I wasn't the greatest guy in the world, obviously. I was hurting people, killing people left and right, shooting people. And now I have a different life for almost 10 years where I'm helping kids. So, you know, it's which one do you want? I want this one where I'm helping kids. Now, you were kind of talking about this idea of like loyalty and being used. And I think for, you know, for, for people like me who just think that the, everything is so interesting, right? Whether you agree, right. whether you, whether they like you guys or hate you right. guys, whatever you want to say about the mafia, it's just interesting. That's why so many well, movies have been made. 
Go Felix, ahead. I want to say something. Also, what bothered me so much is that I was so loyal to him that when he was in jail, I had Bronx Genovese guys wanted me. Gambino guys, his uh, my, my uh, friend I was on last week, Hootie, his crew wanted me. He said, come over here. Come with us. Leave that guy. Everybody hates him. I said, no, I'm not leaving him. That's my guy. And then he comes home and does me dirty. And that's what bothered me even more. I, I turned down so many opportunities, and I wouldn't do that to him. I said, I'm not going to take a button somewhere else just because I want it. I want to be with my people that I came with, and this is my guy. I'm staying with him. And he did me wrong. And that's why I put such a, a bitter take. I, I can't describe it to you, you know? But do you, like, because of stories like that and, and so many others I can imagine, this idea of loyalty, do you guys now, you know, is it hard for you to trust people? I mean, do you, you know, I think I think this idea of loyalty in general is interesting, but then when you talk about mob and money and all that, I mean, how is that transition now? Can you, do you feel like this idea of trust issues is is prominent in your lives? I mean, how do you guys gauge if I can trust someone or not now? Let me tell you something. I have two sisters I have no relationship with because they both live in, one lives in a $2 million house, the other one lives in a $600,000 house. And I have a father that you all know that's sick. And I'm trying to bring him home to my house, not theirs. And I ask for financial help to help my father. I can't get loyalty out of two sisters for their own father and have the nerve to say, we can't afford $1,000 each a month. So that's like saying, we don't love our father for $1,000. If you don't have a thousand, say you're a one's a school teacher, she's making fifty thousand a year. Just say if they cut her pay to forty, she's going to survive with that forty. Correct. So why can't you make the sacrifice for your father's life and keep him in safety? But they chose not to. They put him in a nursing home where he ended up getting COVID. Came home, went back, came back out of the nursing home, out of the hospital, put him back in the same nursing home to get even more sick. Almost died. Now he's lingering and hopefully he survives. But these are sisters, this is not the mob. You imagine this is a sister that goes to a country club and maybe she spends 50,000 a year, one sister on a country club. She lives in a $2 million estate. The other sister's living well. And if she isn't living great, great, but she's living good in a five, $600,000 house, drives brand new cars, uh, throwing weddings for her daughter in the Bahamas, but your dad's life is not worth a thousand a month. This is the, the, the perfect example of saying to the mob world, how can we expect loyalty when you can't get it from your own family? And I'm not the only family like this. There's other families all over like this. So what's this nonsense belief of loyalty in something else when my own father can't get loyalty out of his daughters? He's not worth that much. They'd rather see him suffer and die or live like a dog. I mean, I, you, nobody can explain that. I'd love to have them. We'd love to invite them so we can converse about what they say and, and relate it to the mafia. Because it would be interesting psychologically to see why do people never, and the same sister, one of them, has borrowed crazy money off of me her whole life. 125,000 for a business. Anytime she was in money trouble, 30,000 down payments on houses. I bought well, all kinds of money, I can't even get into it. But not the loyalty enough to love their father, have the audacity not to. So how am I gonna expect that from a mob guy? Can I, you know, I don't think anybody can answer that. And for, for you, do you feel like now that you're you're out, is it harder for you to, to trust people? How do you go about assessing if I'm That was trust? always my problem. I trust too easy. Mm. That's been my downfall. You know, I trust people I had no business trusting. That's, that's always, I always let my guard down because I always give people a chance. And it turns around, they bite me, you know, 
and to hurt me, you know. And how how do you you know feel like you're gonna? How how do you improve on that now? It's hard to you know yeah. you can never really know someone's true you know it's very hard you have to you know take your chances I guess you know yeah. I I have good friends now he's one of my good friends now. I have a few good circle people that were it's actually you meet it's crazy that later on in your life you know people I grew up with they're all my best friends they're not certain of my best friends that ain't even street guys they're not around no more you know but now I now I got good better friends now you know what i mean so it's like i'm I'm good you know i'm happy where i'm are there other do you guys still have friends that also are in, in the life that now aren't i mean do they have similar yeah, experiences oh, to you yeah of course yeah like tr- like is there a certain level of trauma that you guys all share or ever talk about is, is that like a well, subject what, what, what bothers me is that people pick and choose because like all right if you want to say i'm a high profile cooperator so they'll be like oh i can't talk to him but they'll go talk to a guy that cooperated but um, he's not high profile, so they'll still deal with him. And he'll live in the neighborhood, which I do too. I don't care. But it's like they'll deal with him. He's still good because he didn't tell on big guys. But because I told on Vinny and Ronnie, they're these big guys. I'm no good no more. So it's it's so stupid the way they operate right now. It doesn't even make any sense, to be honest with you. Mm. So I don't know. Now, there's other, you know, there's so much that we'll go into over the course of this uh, show. But... Um, you know, we, we kind of talked about this as one of the questions that, that we wanted to get into on this episode too, is, uh, you know, talking about jail and those experiences. And, you know, I think everyone is always wants to know what it was like, yada, yada, but I'm just going to go straight into it. Do you guys each have a worst jail story? I mean, you know, you guys both spent, spent time. Um, and John, I know you from, from our past conversations, been in some really bad places, uh, some bad prisons. So we talk maybe if you guys have a, a worse jail story. Uh, I, you know, I talk a lot in my first book, Gotti's Rules. We talked that George Anastasia wrote. We talked about an incident in uh, Brazil in Ari Franco jail. But I'm going to go outside that because people already heard about that, know about that. After I left Ari Franco, they transferred me to another penitentiary. I was the first inmate never charged with a, with a crime in their country that was sent to a major penitentiary called Bangu 2. And Bangu 2 is uh, one of the roughest prisons also uh, throughout that country or any country. And uh, when I first get picked up by uh, BOP, it's uh, military police, they put me in a box, and you can't really move in those boxes the way they transport you. I mean, literally, there's no movement for your legs, for your arms. It's about 120 degrees in a box, and they moved me with two carloads of military police, so I guess about eight guys. And uh, as I'm going, they stop off, and they're trying to see if I can still give them money for an escape route. And uh, the one military cop I'm pretty friendly with, and he's his name is Marco, and, and they're trying to get me to pay them a couple hundred thousand. They're going to fake a shootout and release me. I mean, that's the story. The only reason why I would trust is because one of them was pretty close to me. Otherwise, I think maybe they'll let me out and then shoot me and, and not take it. But they tell me if I don't, I, I couldn't get to the money to, to them that fast. My lawyer wasn't able to. And we try to do it on a, because on a, on a, they're on a timetable to get me. But when they bring me to Bangu 2, they warn me, John, you're going to have real trouble here. The ward knows and they're blaming you for the riot just happened in Ari Frank. When I left, 16 guys got shot and the, the, the prison was in an upheaval and they blame me as starting that riot. So when I get into the next jail, they strip me down. They bring me down to the dungeons. There's probably ankle deep water in the solitary confinement. Uh, you shit in a hole and uh, there's no blankets. There's no nothing. It's concrete. It's a step down, a step up from where you shit. And uh, they tie me up from my legs to my back of my hands. 
and uh, I get a beat naked at the gates of solitary confinement and in the water and no light. Actually, the light was out. So there's only a light that comes down from down the hall somewhere. So people that, I don't know if anybody watched some of these shows with Argentina when they had the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, war, the wars and different things that were going on with the country. It was one of the worst things because I know if they wanted to kill me, they kill me. And I think the only thing that saved me from that beating, I mean, I got a bad beating, of not getting killed or broken bones or a split open head is I was an American. They would have to answer but to the embassy. But uh, they did beat me bad. My legs, my arms, my body. I was bruised up real bad. And uh, it felt like they broke a rib. I don't know if they ever did or if they just fractured it. And uh, that was probably one of the worst beatings I got. You have no control in those countries. And what? You, what's? I mean, at that point, did you, you think you were going to die? Did you? I actually had one of the guys that were uh, Commander Vermello. I had some friends at Commander Vermello. It's a... They're a huge uh, organization in Brazil. It's the biggest one probably there. And uh, one of the guys was friends with a friend of mine that was a commander of Velo that was a trustee that was running through the gates. And his mother was a lawyer. And he was helped communicate for me for guys inside the pen and guys down, you know, on the street. So I still was getting slight help, but it was very difficult at this point because they had me on such severe lockdown because they accused me of... Uh, I don't know how many guys got killed in that last riot, but uh, they accused me as being one of the instigators of that riot and setting it up. And Gene, do you have, I mean... I mean, like I said, Rikers Island, I've seen probably 100 guys get cut. You know, for incidents like that I've done in jail, I remember me and my friend Frankie Pasqua, he was at Staten Island, and um, we had this Italian guy come to the jail, and uh, he was running his mouth about uh, Gambino guys from my neighborhood, abusing them bad, uh, familiar guys. And I had checked up on him, and uh, they had told me the guy's no good. So I said, okay. I said, I'm going to handle him. So his name was Sal Giolando. He was from the Bronx. Uh, he was playing a tough guy role. And uh, me and my friend Frankie, we made a can top. We uh, made the cutter. And he says, we're going to get him on the walkway. So we waited for him to go on the walkway. Long story short, um, I punch him in his face. My friend Frankie cuts his whole face open. We start beating him. We get away. Um, sure enough, the guy, Sal Gilando, this big, uh, crazy, tough guy, he goes right to the COs, says his own people did it to him. He goes and tells on us right away. I never forget this because my friend Frankie, you meet, you meet such great people in jail. And they put cuffs on both of us. You really do. You meet some good guys. And he looks at, he looks at him, Frankie goes, Gino, everybody used to call me Gino in jail. He goes, Gino had nothing to do with it. I did it. And he actually went to the hole for me for one year, lost one year of his good time for me because I had a three to six, I had to do more time. He only had a one to three. He actually took one year loss of good time for me, one year, and did an extra year for me and, and did it in the hole. And that's what I'm saying. And that was like something we did really wild. I could We could have got extra charges. We got real lucky with it. And the guy, Sal Gilando, ended up uh, telling on us that we cut him and beat him up and everything. And um, my friend Frankie took the weight from me. That was one of the crazy things I've did in jail. I've been in dozens of fights. I've seen hundreds of people get cut. i never seen them. Um, uh, nobody actually get killed. I mean, in jail, but you know, are there are there uh, you know consequences if for for starting fights? I mean, I don't even know how it works. Right, like, if you fight in a mess hall, that's called inciting a riot. You'll get ninety days in the hole automatically. If you if you fight in the yard, that's inciting a riot. If you use any kind of weapon, you go to hole for a year, loss of good time. Seeing the state, you could get your good time back. They have a thing called TAC. It's called time allowance committee, where if you get a weapons charge, you go in front of them. If you do ART, a program, they would say, okay, um, you did your program. We're going to give you eight months back off the year we took. 
So you'll lose some good time, you know what I'm saying, but not all of it. So you get caught with drugs in jail, they'll make you do a cold thing called ASAP. You'll go do the ASAP program and say, right, you've completed the program, so we're going to give you some of your time back. That's how it'll work. Now, if you do, like, technically, me and Frankie were supposed to get outside charges. We were. We just got lucky that we didn't. We were supposed to get them. He was supposed to get them. But for some reason, they just didn't charge it. And what's the, what's the whole, like, for people that don't know what that is oh, or what that... Oh, horrible. I mean, like I said, I did I did whole time. The longest stint I ever did in the hole was 90 days straight, and that was horrible. You know what I mean? How's that different? Like, what is the whole... It's it's solitary confinement. You know, I had a bunkie. I was in New Orleans show, and um, you basically shower three times a week. I think we went over this before. You know, you get no... Your yard is a door kennel. You know what I mean? You have no phone, no commissary, really. You know, you have to stay in there for a long time just to get, like, little snicker bars... You eat only three times a day. Your last time you eat is 4 o'clock. You don't eat again till the morning. You're starving. You know what I mean? So it's really rough, you know? Wow. Yeah. Well, that, you know, well, we're going to get into so much more down the line for, for the rest of the show. But, uh, you know, always a pleasure to, to, to learn. And, you know, for, I mean, it, it's it's so interesting because for, for me and for so many other people, we don't know what these things are like, right? We don't have any of these experiences. So it's... Uh, it's just interesting to hear uh, firsthand accounts, really. And, you know, I think, again, trying to go back to that to that message of, you know, for people that, that are listening that either are violent or have those tendencies to really, you know, to hear these stories, right, is going to hopefully dissuade them from, from pursuing this. And, you know, because maybe it's you might want to hurt someone one day, but then you hear no one wants to be in the hole, right? Oh, so, so uh, you know, that's kind of the message. But, uh, you know... Uh, thank you guys again, obviously, yeah. for, for another episode. And we're going to, you know, this is going to be uh, taking the show to a new level. I mean, you guys have been doing, uh, and you guys will still probably do some of your video calls. I won't be on, on those for, for all those. I'll probably be here most of the time in the studio. Um, we have a lot of great guests. Um, but we'll have, you know, for people listening, we'll have the show on uh, Apple's podcast app, Spotify, all that stuff, uh, the YouTube channel that you're watching this on right now. Uh, make sure you subscribe to that. Um, and... Crime flick, you know, uh, for all the the bonus exclusive content, there's there's going to be a whole lot of stuff up there, and uh, you know, it's uh, you know, we're a couple episodes in of really studio time, but uh, it's going to be a, a different level. So uh, thank you guys again, and uh, there's more to come.